0: Welcome back to Dr. Me First. It's your colleague in medicine, coach in life, queen of burnout, Ian Sass, Dr. Freaking Aaron Wiseman. And it's summertime. So, you know what that means? Time to get your butt outside, which is what I'm doing. So, you'll notice these episodes are going to be a little different for the summer showcase. I did it last year, and I'm so glad to be spotlighting other podcasters who are doing amazing things here on Dr. Me First. So yeah, it's not my voice, but I think some pretty important voices that I want you to listen into. So while you're getting your toes in the sand and your little bikini on, because everybody is a bikini body, plug in Dr. Me First, listen to these summer showcase highlights, and I hope that you enjoy it and you're taking a rest for yourself. To. With that, my friend, get into this episode and remember your life, your calling, your pulse matters.
1: This
2: is the Reset MD Podcast we welcome you to join in on our conversations with fellow physicians. Many of us in medicine reach a point in our careers where we want to make a change. Hit a reset button. Wouldn't it be nice to have some guidance from colleagues who'd been there too and have pearls of wisdom to share? These well-being conversations will cover a range of topics. Thriving in medicine, physician health, burnout prevention, work-life integration, practice optimization, advocacy, and support. And we'll just have some fun doing it. Listen in and start your reset. Hi, welcome to the Reset MD podcast. I'm Dr. Marian McCreary, one of the co-creators of the podcast. And today our guest is... Um, has the honor of being there when the podcast was conceived uh, and being a huge supporter of us along the way. So Dr. Carrie Palomara is an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, and she leads the Center for Physician Wellbeing at Mass General Hospital, as well as being the co-creator and the director of the physician coaching program there. And I met her about two and a half years ago in a different role, She is the um, lead uh, at the American College of Physicians Physician Coach Training Program and is a master of the American College of Physicians. So it's my honor, honor to welcome you to the Reset MD podcast.
3: Thank you so much, Mary, and I'm really excited to be here and to see where this has grown since we first started hearing about it. Thank you. And it
2: and it's booming. So hopefully as we continue to uh, have folks come in for these well-being conversations, we'll be able to share them with physicians through the ACP and, and beyond. And I know I just told our listeners a lot about you professionally, but that's only one part of you. And so if you would, tell us a little bit more about you and what you do outside of your roles with the ACP and, and with the um, coaching program at MassGen.
3: Well, so my clinical role at Mass General is um, in primary care. So I spend about 40% of my time seeing patients in one of our primary care practices here on campus. Um, and I also spend a lot of time... In my in my roles, meeting one-on-one with faculty and with trainees, just helping them along their path, which is a really fun part of the roles that I get to play. Like we, yes, we get to design programs and we get to do trainings and we get to implement and evaluate things, but actually like being a part of people's journey along the way, I've learned actually so much about my own through that process. Um, and I also get to work on a lot of research projects with people um, in the areas of burnout, but also in gender equity and other um, really important topics. So I get to spend every day is different, which is exciting.
2: Yeah. Having that variety and being able to do all these things um, in different roles that are really supporting you for your well-being as well. What, um, what led you to having uh, a focus and interest in these areas of well-being and coaching, in addition to your clinical
0: practice?
3: You know, I didn't actually know I was in the area of well-being when it was happening until it started to become more defined um, and actually, when I first started thinking about coaching, I was Googling terms to be like, what is this thing that I'm trying to do here? But I think from my own experience, I, I come from a, a very large family. No one is physicians. I've worked in teams my whole life, either in sports teams or in, in other ways through, through college and medical school. And I just always felt this desire for someone to be able to help me understand how I was doing and understand where I was going. And I, I was always a little bit different. You know, I wasn't your classic, like physician scientist, like going on a subspecialty track. And so I, I really constantly felt the need for these anchors. And so I was trying to recreate that for people. And that's what got me into coaching. And, and that was the incredibly valuable part of my career and continues to be. But what I also realized through coaching is talking about it isn't enough. And as we identify the challenges that people are facing, we really need to start looking at the system and thinking about how can we improve the system for these individuals. And so that's what led me into a lot of the well-being work that I do today is taking what I learned from these one-on-one conversations with people with coaching and thinking about how can no one person is experiencing anything in a vacuum. So how can we actually think about the system and the stressors?
2: Yeah, because we know that it's it's not just the individual that needs to change in these circumstances. It's it's the institution, the system, kind of the the bigger picture. Um, and there's only so much we can do as one person, but as we continue to spread this um, throughout uh, in different ways, you know, in terms of institutions or through organizations. It just, um, it domino effect, the domino effect is amazing. And you can see that, that impact going forwards.
3: Absolutely. And And I feel like the, the balance between the two, like with the coaching work, if you can help an individual feel better then by all means, we can do it. Or if you can help an individual grow, then it's an awesome way to spend your time. And if that can inform what you do with the system, but also I think the better we do as individuals, the better we're a part of the system and the more creative we are thinking about what change is possible. And so to me, I really see the two, like a lot of people like to separate these things like individual or systems, but I really see the two totally intertwined.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And as you know, we're the Reset MD podcast and we you know, know there are parts of people's stories, times in their life that... Things kind of move in one direction or the other. And so we call these kind of those hard resets where the, the phone blows up and you've got to kind of get another one, or a soft reset where it's really just a, a little bit of a change. As you've gone through your career and um in life, are there times that you would look back on that have really been pivotal for you um, to help you move where you are today and your well-being?
3: For me, absolutely. Um, for me, my um my hard reset I think is as you know really defining as as one can be um before uh, several years ago um I was like the busy working mom two young kids running around the last thing in the world I had time to do was take care of myself. I would like, you know, eat standing up, grab a spoonful of peanut butter and call that a meal. And like, that was okay for me because I loved what I was doing and I was going somewhere and I was doing it. And, and I found, and I was just going really hard all the time and telling other people they needed to take care of themselves, but probably not actually like walking that walk myself, not definitely not actually walking that walk. And, um, in 2018, um, our son died in an accident and everything stopped and my identity was completely changed in an instant. And a lot of the things that mattered, a lot of the things that were important really ceased to matter or be important. And everything was about my family. And our daughter was also in the accident. She was very injured. She's, she's okay now. Um, and so like I had to take care of her and I had to figure out how to like get out of bed and how to get through the day and move through this future that was so uncertain and so heavy. And as it went from heavy to like starting to move again to starting to be more active in the world again and and come eventually coming back to work, the one thing I realized is rather that that my well-being, actually determined the entire family's well-being the better i did the better everybody else did and so it actually started to be that rather than scheduling my time last my time was scheduled first and then everything else was scheduled around that and that really became the like a, a as hard a reset as i could ever find in terms of what made me realize I needed to take care of myself was that it was, a, it was greater than just what my own needs seemed to be in that day. It was what my family needed. It was what everyone who depended on me needed. Um, and so when I'm, when I take care of myself, I'm a better mother, I'm a better wife, I'm a better doctor, I'm a better person. Um, and so it's made me realize that it's actually quite more, quite bigger than just me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and, and to realize that, you know, all that busy that you were doing, thinking, you know, that it was doing the right thing for everybody, in, in spite or despite of yourself, to really having that, that mindset and that heart change that, you know, I have to be well so I can take care of all of these other people. And you knew that, you know, that personally now, there's studies that show that, you know, that that patients get better care when their physicians are well. Um, but we can read studies and read studies and and know it kind of in our brain, but you really learn that um, in your heart as soul as well.
3: And, and I, I, feel, you know, I feel it with my, with my patients. Like when I think about the kind of doctor I am now compared to who I was before, like I, I am, I'm different in so many ways. I always hesitate to use the word, I'm a better doctor, I'm better at this, because it always just feels like I, I would throw all that out in the window in a second if I could, um, to just go back to that crazy old life again. Um, but I can't. And I've, I've I've learned that too, is I, I, I can't. And yeah. so I do have to honor the person that I've become. And so the more that I really lean into that identity that has formed from that hard reset, um, it the more I embrace that, the more natural it is. And I can I can just appreciate and be grateful for the strengths or the, the attributes that I now am more aware of. Mm-hmm. And
2: what ways do you feel like you're different with your interaction with patients?
3: Oh my gosh, one way in particular, I think when you've looked grief, like such severe grief in the face, you can then see it other places and you're not afraid of it. Um, And you're not afraid of being in the room with it and letting that just be there. Um, And so, you know, I can hear a patient talk about something and say their grief out loud, like, oh, this, you know, this is so hard, or I'm so sorry, and, and not in a way that I'm like trying to get past it, but just in a way that I'm like welcoming it, its presence in the room. And, and it really does make a difference. The connection with people is so much greater and it's not over the top, you know, it's not inappropriate. It's, it's just, it's very authentic. Um, And what that opens up for me and my patients together in that relationship is, is, you know, what they then share with you and how that has to do with their weight gain or how that has to do with their anxiety or why they are, aren't taking their medicines or, you know, how, how well this is impacting their health. Um, that, that's what comes after that. And so the relationships are deeper and, and you're able to get to just a different place and a different level of trust and engagement than before.
2: Yeah. I love that word authentic. And, and again, just even if you've never gone through the, a grief or a major illness, just being able to stop and ask those questions and, and listen for the answers, um, can be so helpful for creating that relationship that you want with your patients. And these are the same, same kind of conversations and skills, I will say, but, um, you know, to use with your friends and your family, um, to have that same, same connection as well.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And to, and really to not try to take it away from people not try to fix it or make it all better and just help them find their, their way forward into the life that they're living with their grief. Yeah,
2: yeah. As physicians, we want to fix everything, and we want to have the answers, and we want to make it all better. And sometimes that's not, not what the person needs at that time. They just need someone to to listen to them. Yeah. And for you, so that that putting yourself first, putting your well being first, um, has been pivotal for you. In what ways do you practice self care and um, support that for yourself?
3: Well, my my big three for self care is, um, and then there's like so one that kind of go that overarches all of them are exercise, eating well, and sleeping. If I can do those three things, I am a pretty good human to be around. <laughs> They sound like the basics, but they're not
2: easy. They're not easy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So and and the overarching piece that I was mentioning is just the organization and the, the mindfulness that it takes to create that structure to think about like, oh, I have a crazy day today. What am I going to eat or you know what, so that it's not that spoonful of peanut butter. Although every desk I sit at has a jar of peanut butter, in case <laughs> um, just in case. Oh, <laughs> three, one second. Um, but uh, but in thinking about you know this is what the week looks like in general. So how am I going to make sure my exercise gets in here? What do I need to move? Who do I need to ask for help? Um, and, and really just paying attention. You know, I have a really demanding day tomorrow, so I need to make sure I get to bed early. There's these things that need to happen. So are they going to happen tonight? Are they going to happen another time? Do I need to ask for help? Um, and no, notice that question, do I need to ask for help, is is one that keeps coming up, because that's the other thing I've learned is I have a very capable husband, If and and, and if asked for help, he readily offers it, Um and but I realized i I need to ask for it. And so a lot of this has been learning how to how to ask for more help, too.
2: gosh, that's a that's a big point there. asking for help. That's another thing doctors don't often like to do. um we we feel like we've kind of we got it covered. We're going to take care of it for ourselves. But that's a big piece for you to be able to take care of yourself, you have to delegate or offload or share um some of these responsibilities and you know it sounds like they're they're willing participants um uh, they want to be there um but being able to ask for that is another key a key role ask for help and have peanut butter in your desk and
3: have peanut butter every <laughs> day yes. always have peanut butter
2: yeah and so with you know, you're doing this personally. You're also working with physicians in different capacities. You know, helping them. Um, you know, achieve wellness. What are what are those conversations like with uh, physician colleagues, with residents, um, when you're sharing with them? You know, what's worked for you, or do you? You know, in this in this coaching role, we're not always offering. You know what what we think is right. But yeah. how how to help them figure out what's right for them?
3: Yeah, so it's interesting. Like which role I'm in, how much I then share. I mean, when I'm mentoring, or even just in you know regular conversations that I'm having with people, I do try. I do try to normalize these activities and things that I do. I do try to you know share with people. Oh, I'm running a 5K, or you know, right now I'm training for the Boston Marathon. So I'll, you know, talk to people about my long runs or, you know, other things I'm doing. Um, fundraisers that, you know, we're, I'm either hosting or going to. So I try to talk about it and I put it in my calendar. So if anybody's looking at my calendar, they can, they can see that I'm working out. I don't like call it anything cryptic. It's like boxing or a spin or running. Um, so I talk about it very openly and try to normalize that. And if people are like, "How do you do this?" And i I literally just tell them how I do it and I try to logistically break it down to make it seem possible. In the coaching role, though, what I try to do is 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 with my reflections, call out the discrepancies that I'm seeing of saying that you know people saying, perhaps, you know, that they want to take better care of themselves, but they just don't have the time, you know, and then using reflections to say, like, it sounds like this is really important to you, and it's important to other people in your life, and opening up some creative opportunities to consider what would it look like to take care of yourself? What would it look like to take care of yourself in a day, in a week, in a month? Because, you know, in the beginning, after my hard reset, I I couldn't tell you what it looked like to take care of myself in a month. I couldn't even get through the day. So in the beginning, it was just, what do I need today? And then it was, what do I need this week? And now I can think more on a month basis. You know, what do I need this month? I still have trouble with like, what are your one-year goals? I'm like, I don't know. I just want to be okay. Um, But But, you know, encouraging people to just look as far ahead as feels that they feel confident enough and just think about what would it look like to take care of myself? And for everybody, it's different. I actually, I have a friend I joke with who she's a big meditation person. And I'm like, oh, I can't meditate. If I close my eyes, I just like visions come in. It's, it's just not for me. And she's like, so let me get this straight. You can run for four hours, but you can't close your eyes for four minutes. I'm like, that's exactly right. <laughs> she called out your discrepancy
2: and it didn't work. Yeah, in that yeah.
3: case. <laughs> One day I will meditate. One day. <laughs> not there yet.
2: Oh, man. No, I think that that's right, and and I remember, you know, I when I started running, I have I haven't run a marathon. I've done a couple halves. It was actually a conversation that was going on with the patient, and she was telling me about what she was doing, and so sometimes hearing, you know, what's working for someone else really can be a motivator for you. But it's it's figuring out kind of what's the right space to do that, and this is the perfect space in this in this podcast of of having these thoughts of hey hey this worked for me. Yeah. So you've, you've given our listeners several pearls already, um, but are there others that you would like to share that are these pearls of wellness, uh, well-being wellness that I would say uh, that you'd like to share with us?
3: You know, one of the things that comes to mind when I hear that is you, you had asked about hard and soft resets. Last summer in the sort of halftime between surges, I had an opportunity for a soft reset where I realized I was being really hard on myself. I like like not how I, I'm not one to normally be overly hard on myself. And I found that I really was like very critical, rereading emails that I had already sent and replaying phone calls and mm-hmm. critiquing presentations. And I I stopped and I was like, what is the cycle here? There is a pattern. Why am I doing this to myself? And when I realized I had not been working out as much. I had been e- been eating poorly. I hadn't been sleeping as much. I had been like I'd gone out for a glass of wine a couple of nights like a, just not my usual routines. And I thought to myself, let me get back to basics and see if this actually works. like if taking care of myself helps me be kinder to myself helps me to be a better participant in the other parts in my other roles and just be better to the other people who need me. and sure enough, things started to change. And so the pearl in that for me is to do that work of thinking about it's one thing to think about what makes you feel good. But I think the other is to think about when you're feeling poorly, or when you're feeling that your wellness is not where you want it to be. Consider what are the things that support your well being? And how could you be more in touch with those? And Really thinking about how you're feeling is based on what you need, and if you can better meet your needs, you can change how you feel. And to me, that cycle—and I people have heard me teach about this before—but like that cycle to me was was a total game changer. To think about my experiences give me feelings. My feelings are based on needs. It's actually a pretty simple equation if you take any drama out of it, and if you can identify the needs, you can think about how to meet them, and then you feel differently. And so to that to me was like the biggest, the biggest pearl I could leave anyone with is take the time to like download the manual of yourself and do that little exercise and think about what do you need to meet your needs and how can you construct your environment in a way that supports that?
2: Yeah, I've heard that um, also kind of referred to as um, negative emotions or when your needs are not being met. Exactly Exactly what you're saying. And, and, and to kind of think about that differently, that they're just a, it's kind of like a little alarm that goes off. It says something's not right. And it's time for us to make a shift. It's time to either grow or to kind of go back to the basics and do something a little different.
3: Yes. Yes, exactly. Well, I um,
2: want to throw a couple rapid fire questions at you, some fun questions. And, uh, and then we'll finish up with some take home points for our listeners here today. What's on your nightstand right now?
3: Oh, I'm reading a book um, called The Choice um, uh, by Edith Eva Agar. I think I'm going to probably butchered that a little bit, so we should confirm that. Um, But she is a Holocaust survivor, and she writes about post-traumatic growth and the choices that you have. And her big thing is rather than thinking about why me when loss or grief or trauma happens, you think about what now, and so that has been a really awesome one. And I just finished "It's Okay That You're Not Okay," which is another one by Megan Devine that I just like. I would just scream it from the rooftops about it. I love that book.
2: All right, we'll put those in the show notes so folks
3: can uh, check those right. out as well. And then, um, what's what's a happy place for you? My happy place is in, on a lake in a town called Harmony, Maine. It's um, called Great Moose Lake and we go there every year on Colin's anniversary. And I often say that that is the place where my grief lives. There is a spot on that lake where I can go out and I can dump it all and I can cry that ugly cry and I can come back and feel different than I felt when I went out in that kayak. But it's a place where our family all comes together every year and we bring our grief with us and we, it has space for all that, but then we also create so much love and joy that it's like viscerally challenging to leave there every year when it's time to go home. It's the most amazing place. I love it.
2: And and the name of it is Harmony. I mean, that's the uh, name of it is Harmony. <laughs> so it's such a perfect on a place on the lake.
3: Yeah. yeah. It's just, yeah. It's, a, it's a beautiful place.
2: Yeah. And with my last question We've already talked about this a little bit, but what's a gratifying moment look like for you in medicine?
3: Well, that's a that's a good one. I would say for me it's the moment where there's no computer and there's no agenda and I'm actually unaware of how much time I do or don't have with that patient and I feel like I am providing a space that is important for them. You know, and it's not like the, oh, I'm so glad you're my doctor or any of that. I always appreciate that stuff, of course. But it's that moment where I realize that I have created a space for somebody that is healing, that is productive, that is something that they needed that they might not have other got otherwise gotten someplace else. That to me the most gratifying moment.
2: Yeah. And that's what we hope that someone creates that for us when we need it in our time. Yeah. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation. I I know we've um, really touched on a lot of important topics uh, that I think people will take away a lot from that. What would you leave our listeners with, with a few take-home points?
3: I would say the first take-home point, which I can't take any credit for, actually, Natalie Kogan, who is an expert in emotional strength and fitness, she says that you can't expect to take care of others if you don't take care of yourself, which we've said other, otherwise. But if that isn't like a strong enough, compelling message, um, we talk, we think a lot about leaders and how leaders are enabling others to thrive. And what she says is you can't possibly you can't positively impact other people's ability to thrive if you first are not taking care of yourself and your own well-being. And so it's really a call to action. If you see yourself as a leader, you have to take care of yourself. Um, and I think the other take home is that doing that that reflective work for that cycle of you know what are your needs based on how you're feeling and how can you how can you better meet your needs to feel the way that you want to feel? Um, And I think the third, which I haven't said in these other comments, but I find myself, you know, when I'm talking with people a lot is I I find myself helping people reframe how they're viewing things and, and their language, particularly these days, people are really hard on themselves these days. It's just the importance of being kind to ourselves. And we use this term, like give yourself grace. And you're like, what does that even mean? But this idea that we life is hard enough right now, we don't have to make it harder for ourselves. So when people say, like, I know I'm not doing enough right now, you're saying, like, I'm doing a lot right now. And there are other things I'd really hope to do, too. You know, things like that. And um, so I find, I guess the take home there would be to pay attention to your self-talk and the self-talk of others, and just work to actively edit that and reframe for yourself or for others.
2: Yeah, really, really um, show that self-compassion as much as you would show it for other people with yeah. that with that last. Thank you so much for being here and also for being so inspiring for, um, for me personally and helping uh, me be able to create well-being in the world. And it's been an honor.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And I think this podcast is going to help so many people and I'm really honored to be a part of it. So thank you and and thank all of you for the, the hard work you've done to make this a reality. Thank you. Have a great day. You too, Marion.
2: Thanks for listening in on this conversation at ResetMD. If you'd like to reach out to us and continue the conversation for well-being, email us at resetmdpodcast at gmail.com.
0: y'all have heard it takes a village to raise a child. But you know what else? After raising that child and once that kid has grown up, it takes a community to care for them. Communities are what keeps us sane. They help us heal our trauma, they dance with us when we're winning. Without my online communities, I would have never made it through burnout. And I certainly would have gotten through the shitstorm of this pandemic either. If you too need community, I want to invite you over to my badass Slack group. That's right, I'm not going to be on Facebook, but I do love me some Slack. It's a place where you'll find that you're not the only one. You're not alone. You'll get total validation on what's going on with you. There's a pool of resources. Community is active and ready to welcome you in. We are all helpers who have needs, and sometimes we need to have a community that can surround us, protect us, give us a hug, and lift us up. And that's what the badass Slack community is. So come join me today. Link is in the show notes.